When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the following program, do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Um, if you're tuning in and you would like to call into the show and have an opportunity to talk to my guest this afternoon, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you can do so by dialing 888-329-3306. That's 888 888- Three two nine thirty three zero six, and be sure to check out our website at womentowatch.net for all things related to the show. That's women the number two watch.net net. Um, so I'm thrilled to get right to welcoming our guest to the show this afternoon. I'm so happy to have her with me today. Her name is Sarah Hirsch Bordeaux, and Sarah is the founder and CEO of Women Rising, which is a production company that creates content and experiences to empower women and girls. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. So so wonderful to have you here today. Are you calling in from, from Austin? I am. I'm calling in from Austin where I'm in post-production on my latest project. Okay, which good. Is a, yeah, which is a documentary program and curriculum series that is going to be released in about seven weeks' time. Um, it's a um, sexual assault prevention curriculum that we are doing in a partnership with It's On Us right. from Washington, D.C. Yeah. And um, it's to basically acknowledge that in order to safeguard our girls in dorm rooms across the country, we need to activate the power and the influence of the men in the locker rooms. Right. So that's what I'm working on now, and it's called Protector. Yeah. I, you know, I, I had that uh, down uh, in my notes to, to make sure that we talked about. Is that going to be done ahead of schedule? Oh, I'm not sure okay. if I can be that ambitious, but I, you know, I think we're going to be right on time. Okay, well, that's good. Right on time. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I thought I read you. that it was due to, to be out towards the end of uh, spring 2017. So I guess, yeah, right on schedule. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, um, Sarah, I would love to, to get started with your backstory and talk a little bit about your growing up years in Austin, Texas, and, and what your childhood was like. Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Austin and to um, two fantastic parents, um, a mother named Patty who grew up um, also here in Austin and was a stay-at-home mom until 
I was in junior high and then went back to become to back to resuming her life as an elementary school teacher, as an amazing elementary school teacher. Um, and then to the daughter of, of um, my father, Doug, who both of them are, are still here and, and still with us and, and, and still just fantastic influences and support. And I have twin brothers, Jeffrey and Ryan, mm-hmm. and they are um, four years younger than I am. But as the oldest child and oldest grandchild of 11, I was, I was kind of always the one that um, was sort of the big sister to everyone. And, and that feeling and, and um, sense of pride around, you know, kind of helping guide the younger people in my family definitely carried on to later in life and um, resuming that role again, but as mentor and uh, boss and, and now as um, a director of a company influencing women and girls. So, well, you know, that doesn't surprise but, me. Often mm-hmm. the oldest, um, and if she happens to be a girl, does kind of take over that, you know, caretaker position. It's true. Right? Isn't it? Yeah. It's true. It's very, very true. I've, I've written about it. I've, I've kind of coached on it as well. And, you know, I, I think that what I have found across the board is that really that, that sense of birth order for women, very important very, very important and very defining. You know, it's, it's very rare that you'll meet an oldest daughter that isn't kind of in charge in some way or, or isn't um, kind of responsible for others mm-hmm. in some ways. Most of the female bosses that I've had, most of the, you know, women, the senior women in roles um, as colleagues, have, I've, I've found over and over and over again exactly to your point that, that we are oldest daughters. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and mm-hmm. I've seen that very, quite mm-hmm. often on the show. And and likewise with uh, being the youngest. Oh, what a great insight, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, Sarah, I'm going to read a quote because one of the things that I think uh, I read about you and it seemed to be across the board is not only your you know ability to inspire people that you work with and your team, but this kind of uh, focus that you have, and I wondered if it was something you had as a young girl. Um, this quote was was uh, given by Caroline, and help me pronounce her last name, Geigerich? Geigerich? Gergich, actually, yeah. Okay. She yeah. said, Sarah is simply one of the most inspirational people I have ever been lucky enough to know. Her focus is rare. This is what makes her an incredible leader with an uncanny focus in this chaotic world. Um, I loved wow. that. You know, I, I think it's wow, so important, yeah, that she saw in you this ability to regain, I'll say regain that focus um, in a world where we are truly continually um, mm-hmm. distracted. And mm-hmm. was that, you know, was that a trait that you had mm-hmm. at a, as a young girl or something you developed as, as you got older through the work that you've done? That is a really... Um, First of all, I'm going to need to send, send my good friend Caroline a thank you note for that because that is a beautiful thing to say. Yeah. Um, very humbled by that. Um, I I feel honestly that you know growing up as a Southern girl in a Southern family, a multi generational Southern family, Susan. You know, we um, I was the first person in my family to actually go on to hold a corporate job. Mm. first you know the the first woman 
and my family to go on to hold a corporate job. And I think that so much of me growing up was just trying to figure out, um, you know, I, I never really felt at, at home um, in a lot of the traditional upbringing um, for women that was, you know, kind of shaped around me. Um, that's not, that's not to say that, you know, at times I haven't been so jealous of, oh my gosh, you know, I, it would be, it, it might be easier on my, on my body and my, in my spirit if I was content with simpler, with a simpler structure of life. And for me that I, I just was always, you know, kind of driven to do these crazy things. You know, instead of going to summer camp, I lived with a family in Costa Rica when I was 13 wow. um, with no hot water and um, a family that didn't speak any English. But for some reason, that felt right to me at the time um, instead of, you know, having these traditional summer experiences, I was always asking if I could go off on these adventures. And I think maybe from a young age, honestly, if, if I'm being fully vulnerable, which I think is important for all of us as women, especially right now, because we don't get anywhere by being so stoic all the time. We need to feel comfortable enough that we can share and break down mm -hmm. um, um, and learn from each other is that I don't think I ever really knew what I was here for um, really un until the last several years. And it took a lot of breaking apart, breaking down, falling apart, cracking open, um, you know, there's a beautiful quote that, um, you know, it's, it's not until we're broken that we can let the light in. Mm. And I think that that's very, very true yes. for, for my, 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 my being and my career and, and the work that I've done. It's definitely been a, a path that has not been smooth and, but, but, but somehow I, I find myself here in a moment in time, and especially given our climate and the window that women are walking into, that I'm, I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And that mm. is the best feeling that um, I think I've ever felt um, professionally in my life mm. is, is now. But I wouldn't, but, but, you know, I've had a, a you know, as, as, as you and I kind of talked in our sort of pre, pre-call you know, a, a, an extremely varied career, but I wouldn't change any of that. There was the best quote last night. Um, the amazing Viola, da the, the amazing Viola Davis gave from the stage at the SAG awards. And, and she said that she had read this quote of, you know, it's always important to recognize, um, that you want the right kind of regret. Mm -hmm. And, I can very much say that I don't regret any of the choices that I've made or the things that have, you know, happened to me. So I, I think it's as we, as we kind of advance and mentor other women that are coming up behind us that are going to, you know, take where, where we've, you know, taken this space and this window and time to a whole nother level is, is just to kind of map and, and know that regrets are, are real. They are guaranteed but are you having the right kind of them? I thought that was a very powerful um, insight. Mm. Yeah, I love that. You know, um, mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering, Sarah, if you're able to pinpoint a particular experience that probably in your younger years you looked at as, you know, a failure, 
and when in reality it was just another lesson learned, um, but may have been a tough one, and, and how you moved past that and, and what was the lesson that you learned from that particular um, event sure. or experience. Are you thinking career-focused or just Not more necessarily. Personal, personal, mm-hmm. personal more so. I think those, mm-hmm. you know, that's really what um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you know where the greatest lessons we find are in that personal yeah. development piece. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. You know, um, for me, I'll just sort of map it back to, um, you know, there was a, there was a, there were two very defining moments for me. One when I was 22 and one when I was 23, one professional and one personal, they ironically were in the same window. And I don't know if you found this, but I certainly have found it. And I, I mentor to this point that, you know, the, the universe kind of gives you whispers that help guide you along. Right. So it could, it could start as a whisper or then if you're not paying attention, it gets a little louder, mm, yes. might get to a talk. Then if it, then if you're not paying attention, it might be a light shove, right? Yeah. And then if you're not listening again, yeah. it kind of comes knocks you, know, with you a over <laughs> and knocks you over. Yes. And and I and I think that those are the the pieces that, you know, I turned forty this past year, and I I finally feel like I'm getting into this. Oh my God! If I had, you know, what a what a powerful, you know, piece of of wisdom and 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 you know, these moments of wisdom, these are not handed or guaranteed or granted or given. They are earned, (laughs) you know, they are earned. And I think for me, you know, I was, um, I think professionally the, the moment was when I understood the difference between ambition and drive. Okay. At 22 years old. And it was a circumstance that I was in a really, really, really beautiful um, role, um, being very embraced and championed um, early on in my career with the Estee Lauder Company of New York City. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a, a really just kind of gilded experience there. Felt very lucky to be there from the beginning. Fought to get in. Actually said, you know, if you if, if you won't let me in as a recent college grad you know, then I'll come up through the janitorial circuit because I know I'm supposed to be here. They thought I was kidding and I wasn't. And then I started to apply for a janitorial job. And, and then they said, all right, all right, you know, maybe we'll, we'll try you out as a temp. And luckily I, I earned my way in the door on my own. But um, I think that's I determination. Would, I would describe that as sheer determination. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. But also to that point of focus. Honestly, you know, maybe maybe that is sort of, you know, it's interesting that you're saying this because as I'm reflecting, I'm I'm thinking of how I hate shopping. I hate it. I don't. I'm I'm very, I'm a little unlikely as it relates to sort of girly characteristics or overly feminine characteristics as it relates to you know I don't enjoy shopping. I don't like, you know, when I'm stressed out, going to the store is the last thing I want to do. I can relate um, to that 100. Yeah. percent Yes. I'm the and, same way. And I very much so. And, and um, you know, and, and thinking about steps or looking at apartments or buying a dress or something. I mean, I normally just get the, the first one if it feels right. But I think for me, I early on, I was trying to understand the difference of what instinct felt like and 
if instinct was actually, um, you know, something that was out of fear versus out of, you know, maybe love and focus. And I think that that's something that, you know, what instinct has a, it definitely has a feeling. It isn't just an idea, it's a feeling. And being able to map to that and, and understand that, um, you know, when instinct feels scary, it's not the right thing, even though it feels loud. Mm. And, and to be able to, to say, okay, I'm getting this instinct, I'm getting this feeling, what is this feeling? It's very, very strong. Oh, well, I have a feeling around it. It must mean that I should do it. And most times that's kind of an opportunity saying, you should think about me, but you should say no to me because I, you know, you don't feel good when you're thinking about saying yes to this choice. And that took me a little while to understand. One of those was leaving that Sir Lauder companies for a brief stint at a, at, um, a film studio in New York. And the second one was um, getting married you know, when I am getting engaged when I was 23 years old, um, I was being mailed newspaper clippings from my grandmother and my mother about, you know, here I was in New York trying to make a go of it. And all these women and girls that I'd gone to school with at college, you know, were getting married one after the next. And, and they just kept sending me wedding clippings. <laughs> and I, and I kept feeling like, oh my God, I'm, you know, am I disappointing them? Oh, am gosh. I not doing what they wanted me to do? Am I, you know, am I not supposed to be here? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, at 23 years old, again, as I'll go back to, I was the first woman in my family to leave the state and have a corporate job or leave the city really and, and leave and kind of go off and chase sort of a, a you know, career dream. Mm-hmm. And, it was a it was a beautiful experience because I would come back and you know what my my family has a little Mexican food restaurant here in Austin and I would come back from New York and my I come from a very big Lebanese family so it is ironic that we as a Lebanese family have a Mexican food restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, That's a whole other story, uh, I guess. It's a whole other story. Yeah. And so you know, sitting there and with the aunties and the grand aunties and the cousins and you know, here I am and you know, I walk in and my mom says, oh, you know, we're just going to go and have lunch. Everyone's really excited to see you and I'm just really excited about nachos. So I, you know, I walk in the door and, you know, we're sitting down, you know, I sit down and I'm like, Jesus, mom, this table is freaking enormous. And she said, oh, you know, it'll be fine. Well, like 16 people later and I'm at the, you know, head of the table, which is never a place that I've been very comfortable. Um, and I don't know, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I never really have been um, pursuant to um, be in the light at all. I've, I've just really enjoyed being a part of projects or work that get the light and that always feels good. But, Oh, I think for, I think for me, the, you know, the experience was recognizing that I actually had a role on behalf of all of these women in my family as the first one to go off. Mm. And, um, that I felt very responsible to hold space that they weren't allowed to have, or they weren't given the opportunity to have. And, 
that's definitely been a big part of my focus is, um, you know, knowing that the, the women that came before me weren't encouraged to chase their own dream. It was more of a family's dream or a mother's dream or a father's dream or a husband's. Yes, right. And so I take that very seriously. And I think on behalf of that, I it's made me feel more and more secure and confident that I'm really not just here for me. I'm here for um, kind of an, you know, armies of, of other women and girls. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting listening to you describe, you know, um, you know, your work, but then kind of reflecting back to those younger years and it must've been difficult. I think it's difficult for anyone who somehow feels out of place within, you know, your, your community or your family or your Mm -hmm. space, you know, Mm -hmm. around the people who know and love you most. And yet you still have this little, you know, this, we'll say instinct, you know, that, um, you're meant for something different. I think that probably was hard, but yet Mm -hmm. it was, um, you know, my, my guess is you were always extremely curious about what, what was beyond that, um, you know, that I was, I was, and, and, you know, I'm sure that you, all of, you know, the esteemed women, you know, myself excluded that you've had on this, on your incredible program is it's a, it's a, you know, one thing that I hear all the time from the girls that I've mentored is, I don't know what it is, but, you know, they'll say, and I, I just, I feel like I'm supposed to be in fill in the blank, yes, New York, right. film, yeah. fashion, whatever, and and it's this and it's this feeling of I don't care if I have to eat free hot dogs at bad <laughs> happy hours for a year, yeah. right? And 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 have you know ten you know ten shirts and and two bottoms and that's it for a year so that I can make it because I know with every fiber of my being, I'm supposed to be there, wherever there is. That's right. right. And I think that we're in a time that it is so essential, not that, you know, we all can't take on every fight. You know, I I know that I'm here to, to fight and encourage young girls to really follow that, whatever their there is. And, and I think it's just really, really exciting that the level of encouragement is so loud, you know, oh, and that we are just right. another voice in that choir yes. that, keeps, that keeps this volume of freedom that they can step into so loud, yeah. you know, and the more that we talk about our relationships, the more that we talk about our experiences, the more that failing is acceptable and championed and you know the more that quote-unquote mistakes are 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 made and learned from um you know it's i think that and i and i know this in 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 being from the south and certainly other generations of women they don't talk about things that are uncomfortable right no no. you know uh, we are you know, if you're in your 30s and 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 40s, you are the really the first kind of generation of the female gender that ex- 
expressing a sense of opportunity and vulnerability and fear has actually really been, you know, encouraged, permitted. That's right. That's right. Yes. And look how many people it's helped, you know, that, that it's, that it's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sarah, let me ask you a question. Let's talk about why girls, why is it so important to you and, you know, to, to others, uh, for me as well, I want to know from your, your own personal view, why is it important that we are championing, championing women and girls? What is it going to do for the world? I think that we're in a time, and, you know, I'm sure you've heard this beautiful, um, you know, this, this beautiful, I guess you could call it a, you know, a, a parable or a, um, a phrase that, you know, we, we can't only champion and lift up half the sky. We have to lift up both. And I think we can talk about the fiscal ramifications. I think we can talk about the anthropological ramifications. We can talk about the spiritual ramifications. But, you know, we're in a, a, a time and a moment where it just doesn't matter whether you're measuring the efficacy and the strength of an industry or a culture or a boardroom, simply put, the, if, if you are not bringing women to that opportunity in a place of openness and championship, it really affects the success and the value and the future of that entity. It's not anything that has been made up. It's, it's simply what is being seen across all of these angles. You know, we're at a, a time now where it does seem kind of shocking that, you know, women are still only making 77 cents to the dollar. You know, the percentage of, you know, I'm less, honestly, Susan, I'm so much less interested in how many women Um, are at the board seat or at the board table because I just want women to feel empowered to do what they feel they are here for. That's right. You know, I have so many friends and, and, and family members that are so brilliantly excellent at providing and leading a home in a way that I am definitely not here for. That is that is not my, my strength set. But to watch with the grace and the power that they create this home, that they rear the and grow and, and and mold these beautiful little children and and are and are here in a very different kind of motherly way. I believe that I mother, but I believe that I mother in very different ways than biologically. You know, I I, I, I worry and I caretake and I covet and I adore these, these, these projects, these entities, these sort of breathing pieces of work that I do that once they're out into the world, I experience the exact same. I actually thought, you know, a little bit of guidance around it because after I released my first film, I was so depressed. I was so depressed and I wasn't when it was sure done, why. right? When it was done. When it was done. Yes. When yes. it was done and it was out into the world and other people were looking at it, it wasn't just mine anymore. I mm. wasn't holding it tight anymore. It wasn't just inside of 
me anymore and in my heart anymore. Mm -hmm. It was people were touching it and they were talking about it and they were looking at it and they were taking pictures with it. And it was this very strange feeling. And this friend of mine said, you're going through postpartum. It was the exact same physical. I was having a hard time sleeping. I was depressed. Yeah, yeah. It was a very, very powerful, you know, um, experience for me. And I think that just back to why is it important, I don't really, I'm, I'm so less interested with the statistics. I'm so much more interested in are the women that want to be homemakers, are they given the tools and the championship to do that to the best of their ability? If a young girl wants to go to New York at 17 years old, not go to college and go straight into culinary, is she given the tools that she needs so that she can live the best life she wants? If you're graduating college and you don't have a mentor and you want to break, quote unquote, your glass ceiling is getting to a C-suite, are you being given the tools that you, the tools and championship that you need? I feel like we're in a, an opportunity and a, and a place where we simply need to be empowering each other to whatever goal that set. I'm not interested in, in following or, you know, waxing poetic on all of these numbers and goals. Do I believe that we should be paid the same? Yes. Outside of that, I'm not worried about the percentages because what if the women don't want to be there mm, now yeah. if the women do want to be there and they do want to chase that down and they are up one for one then that's a separate conversation but to me and what the, the message that i want to bring forward is i want a positive story tell around what we're doing right i want to encourage further empowerment for whatever track of life or whatever avenue of career or avenue of home or avenue of lifestyle it is that you want I simply want us to be championing each other because women have a very very difficult time it comes from the way that we're raised it comes from you know the vast majority of us you know some of us were were athletes growing up some of us weren't but we are very competitive emotionally very competitive emotionally and that graduates as we get older and I feel like it's understanding that premise understanding that not only philosophy, but reality of the way that we are threatened by each other often. And really, that's where Women Rising was born. Well, so much of what you said, is, you know, resonates with me, um, certainly, Sarah. And I think, you know, putting a spotlight on how far we have come and all the, th you know, the yes. wonderful things that are going on to me is the only yes. way to kind of keep it going and, and even jumpstart it. Um, listen, we're going to take yeah. a quick break um, for our sponsors. Okay. When we come back, I, I definitely want to get right into um, your first documentary, uh, A Brave Heart. We'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus our same day readings mean same day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. 
Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm pleased to announce the opening of the region's newest, most innovative gynecology practice in the Philadelphia area in mid-November, Montgomery Gynecology. Led by Dr. Hima Janogada in a welcoming boutique-style setting, she and her team are committed to providing the highest standard of cutting-edge care without losing the personal touch that is so very important in today's world. With a particular interest in minimally invasive surgical options, Dr. Hema completed advanced training in robotic surgery and is one of only two surgeons in Montgomery County who performs this highly specialized single-site robotic surgery. For more information on the opening of this exciting new practice in the convenient Plymouth Meeting location, go to www.montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-444. 3411. That's MontgomeryGYN.com or call 215-444-3411 to make an appointment today. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. I'm thrilled to be joined this afternoon by Sarah Hirsch-Bordeaux. And again, Sarah is the founder and CEO of Women Rising. And of course, um, for the listeners, Sarah, I, you know, I want to be sure everyone is familiar with um, the first documentary you um, directed, A Brave Heart, in 2015, the Lizzie story. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, immediately I wanted to know is how knowing her has changed you. Well, Lizzie is, um, she is a spectacular woman on, on so many levels. I think that the greatest learning that, that I've had by working alongside of her and following her and watching her and 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 seeing just the incredible global response to her and what she represents is that choosing positivity is a is an active choice it's a daily practice and it's something that is definitely driving the kinds of projects that I'm taking um you know there's a really powerful um, a powerful quote that says, you know, um, you you speak and you walk into that world. You you know, you walk into the world that you speak of. And I think that what I was seeing constantly with Lizzie was just this experience she had had by being bullied so publicly. And the choice that she made to not only forgive the bully, but to also make daily decisions to 
choose positivity and, and turn that experience around um, and, and, and create um, a glow around it, if you will. And, you know, basically Lizzie and the line that I wrote for the trailer is bullying stories are known for having victims, not heroes. And I think that that's a, a very powerful idea for lots of areas in life because um, there are lots of areas and instances and experiences and journeys that are not enjoyable, that don't feel good, that do hurt, that do bruise us and do break us open. But it's the recognition of what do you do with that pain? You know, do you build on it and try to create a life lesson for yourself and other people around you? You know, do you bathe in the victimhood in the victimhood every day? Mm -hmm. No. And Lizzie, you know, made it very clear from the beginning, as did her family, you know, that that they they felt incredibly committed to taking this opportunity um, and the you know, the fame that was generated around her story and be able to build a platform for advancing a conversation forward in a really positive way. Mm. And I think for me, that was so visceral um, and and really kind of the, the most guiding hand that I needed to further validate the kinds of projects that I want to take on and that I want Women Rising to be a part of and the kinds of women that I want to champion and their stories that I want to champion. And I think we're in a, a time where lots of, you know, women are starting to come out and find their own light. And sometimes they just need a boost. That's right. Yeah. And you know, th her strength, I think is just such an incredible lesson for all of us, especially women. Um, you know, in case the listeners aren't familiar with the documentary, Lizzie um, has a very rare condition um, that didn't allow her to gain weight. And she came across a YouTube video that um, labeled her as the ugliest woman in the world. Um, any woman or young girl seeing that um, most likely would have been, you know, crippled emotionally, let's say. And I think her... And it had four million views. There you go. You know, oh, and of course, horrific comments, you know, people chiming in and you think, my goodness, how, you know, clearly they have nothing else in their life. Um, but I think the lesson, you know, how you can change your perspective of something that happens to you is so incredibly powerful. You know, not just the fact that you can turn something around and um, find something to do in its place, but just the simple act of looking at that experience differently, mm -hmm. right, really mm -hmm. allows you mm -hmm. to move past the pain and the emotion of it. That's right. Yeah, and that's that's really what she did. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we talk a lot about bullying. It's certainly, it's, it's, it's in the news every day. And um, one of the things I read about is that, you know. Now even more so. In absolutely. The last yeah. Yeah. Right. So here's what I want to know in, you know, in working to get some kind of a federal anti-bullying bill passed, what, tell me what that would look like. Um, you know, I have, I have two children and of course I've spoken to them since the day they were born about being kind, you know, to me, it was mm -hmm. the most important lesson I could ever teach my kids. 
um, is just to be kind. And they were bullied and I was bullied and generations before me were bullied. And I think that often um, people are missing why it's different today, the severity of it, as opposed to when we were all growing up. And it wasn't just kind of a kid saying something to you not so nice um, at recess and why there needs to be more done today um, other than just kind of teaching you, teaching children to stand up for themselves. So in your view and, and in, you know, with the work that you have done, what kind of a federal uh, bill could be in place that would actually uh, make a difference? Well, it's really, you know, two things. I'll, you know, the, the bill that unfortunately – Still has not even gotten to the floor for a vote and um, unfortunately it was it it was really lacking the support on both sides of the aisle and now with the um, with Congress the the way that is it 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 may not get there for a little while longer but the bill is called the safe schools improvement act it was now it's it was actually brought forward Ten years ago, by Linda Sanchez, a congresswoman out of California, mm-hmm. and it basically just really involved two levels. It was almost a training wheels bill, is the way that I kind of describe it, because it wasn't requiring a great deal. It only really yielded two things. The first is that um, bullying be defined clearly that it would include the words, um, you know, harassment and violence so that it was all tied to the same concept, that the definition has always been very loose. Mm-hmm. And then the second was that for all schools that take funding, all schools that take state and federal funding, that the um, number of instances of bullying be counted. That was really it. It was really about a definition and a monitoring, and that wasn't even able to get to the floor for a vote. I think that what we're dealing with, though, and I'm sure that you know you have have seen this and lots and lots of stories around, is you know hurt people hurt people, and we're in a time and have been, you know that that the level of of, of unhappiness and depression and um, substance abuse, and we're we're in a time where we have a lot of people in this country and in the world because you know our our Kickstarter was backed in more than ten countries. You know we had a a, a very very broad international appeal right, um, right. because of this issue. Mm-hmm. Completely universal. It, it it really was less about Lizzie and more about this issue. Right. And what is it? What it? How did, What does it mean to people? And we heard from many people, both bullies and victims alike. And, you know, if there was one thing that just we would hear from the bullies over and over and over again, the same thing was that they were just in a bad place, made them do something bad. They were hurting. It made them want others to hurt. Right. You know, which makes so much sense. It really stems. It does. Mm -hmm. And it's not all that complicated. Right. (laughs) That's right. that's right. Not all that complicated. Mm-hmm. And you could break it down with legalities and congressional votes and Senate support and House support. You could spend 
a long, long time asking, you know, is this bill going to do anything? But what it really comes down to is we're in a time that there are a lot of hurt people and people in pain. And I'm, I'm more interested in talking about, okay, how do we, you know, build more of a culture of kindness? And Lizzie is at the forefront of doing that. Yes. You know, how do we, how do we each sort of stand up in a way and make those choices? How do we treat a waitress or a waiter with kindness? How does the table next to me see that? How does that then ripple into the way that they treat their waiter or waitress? Mm -hmm. How does then that waiter or waitress treat the mailman when they get home? You know, it is a, it is a domino effect of behavior. And if, I think if everybody just sort of embraced the power of simple kindness, simple support, understanding that, you know, we're all walking the same walk and everyone needs the same simple things yeah. that I think that culturally we would have less of a problem of bullying and abuse. So here's a question for you, Sarah. How do we um, or what do we say to those who feel um, that it might be naive to believe that a simple act of kindness um, can be so powerful? I know it to be true. You know it to be true. Um, we've seen it. You know, that that ripple effect that you speak of absolutely happens. But in in this world where there's such fear around, you know, we have terrorism in the world. And when we talk about kindness and its power, sometimes it is um, spoken of as, as naive and something that couldn't possibly affect um, or change the issues that are so deep-seated. What... What do you say to that? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'll just sort of speak on a very simple level. There is a chemical reaction that happens when you are nice to someone and you bring out joy in yourself and someone else. And there's a, a very equal chemical reaction, but on the negative side of when you act from a place of fear or hatred or negativity that has a way to make you feel. I feel like if, if people even would take, you know, for one day, maybe spend the morning being kind and the afternoon exercising negativity and see what part of the day you feel better. <laughs> it, That's a great it, experiment. It has, yeah. It, it has to start from within. Mm -hmm. It's all about how do you feel? Do you feel loved and supported and thanked and, and, and championed? That's what kindness yields. Do you feel afraid and nervous and insecure? That's what negativity yields. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're, again, kind of going back, this isn't complicated. <laughs> it's very, very simple. You know, if most things people, are. Hurt, most things are. I think if, we over yeah, yeah if, analyze most things today. Yeah. yeah. If hurt people hurt people, then how could it not be the same that happy people Oh sorry, something something just went out. 
how then then how would it how would it be any different for a happy person person to instill more happiness? Yeah, it's 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 um, I think that we're in a problem. We're in a generation and a culture where we're simply overthinking, mm-hmm. and I also feel that we're in a time and a place that because of the bounty and the omnipresent social distractions, be it digitally, mostly digitally, and that, that universe that, you know, we all can very easily find ourselves in of going down these rabbit holes Mm. of volume and clutter and hateful words and um, what you're absorbing. You're absorbing that. Every, you know, every blink of an eyelash that you're taking in with your eyes, you're absorbing. Mm -hmm. Every thing that you're reading out loud or, oh my God, did you hear this? Or the sharing, all of that is just one more ounce of, of, of negativity and pain. Mm -hmm. And I think that if, if everyone would just take a step back and, and acknowledge that these words matter, these actions matter, everything holds weight and holds power. And it's simply what you spend your time doing. Are you spending your time um, propelling negativity or are you spending your time instilling goodness or light? And all of that has a feeling for you. That's right. That's, that's right. That's so true. Um, Sarah, I want to give you a couple of minutes to talk about the, the next film that you're working on and you know a lot these are all kind of heavy topics that that we're talking about but they're important and you're now um directing and producing protect her um which Mm -hmm. is um kind of a first of its kind film around the topic Mm -hmm. of sexual sexual assault um, excuse me sexual assault on campuses and you know Mm -hmm. i'd love for you to talk for a few minutes about what you have learned and are learning by doing this film and how is it that that you will be empowering uh, male athletes um, and, and bring some awareness to both them and, and the young women in these schools and universities? Sure. I think in the same way that I was drawn to Lizzie and her story was it was a, it was a negative issue that was creating a positive world around it. And I think that when I came upon, um, you know, a a good friend of mine, Alexis Jones, started um, a nonprofit called I Am That Girl. And it's now um, over a million girls in 20-some-odd countries, and and it's done incredibly well. And it's all anchored in building additional confidence and support and, and championship for girls in high school, junior high and high school. And... One thing that she started getting asked to do was come and speak to boys about the issues that girls were facing. So she started getting invited into, um, you know, clubs and then started to get invited into male locker rooms. And the one thing that she realized was that the men were kind of this missing piece to help push girls, The you know, the the issue of confidence for girls Mm -hmm. over the edge that, you know, we had been spending decades, you know, really focused on girls, feel better, you know, girls, you know, feel better about yourself, but we were missing that other part of 
the dialogue, which was how are men making women feel, not how are women making themselves feel. So she started to, you know, spend more time there and was really starting to see the needle move. Well, then she got asked if she would speak um, at a locker room who had, uh, for a school that had just received um, charges against it for sexual assault. And a couple of the players were actually being charged with um, gang raping a young girl on campus. And what Alexis was finding were that, you know, it isn't, unfortunately, these male athletes, um, fortunately and unfortunately, these male athletes are getting all the attention, you know, but they're also the influencers that everyone is watching. All the other boys, all the other guys, all the girls, everyone's watching how these boys talk about women, how these boys treat women. And she started telling me about this. And what was extremely exciting to me was the part of the conversation of how do we create a positive angle out of a story that is happening on every single campus? Because whether you are a survivor or not, you believe and you recognize that we need men as part of the solution. We then started getting um, involved with It's On Us and Vice President Biden and um, President Obama had started this initiative called It's On Us, which was really about bringing men into the conversation of how we treat our women and girls. Mm -hmm. And... So we have been in development around a curriculum series that is going to be four parts. It's video-based. It's going to be licensed to NCAA schools across the country. And it is all about recognizing that we need men to participate in this conversation to better protect the women and girls in their lives. It's about redefining bro code. It's about telling these boys that vulnerability is okay that what does manhood really mean? How do we, you know, where did you learn what manhood meant and how do we help you understand? And certainly if, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not an athlete nor a man, but we're going to the very best people that we know in the sports industry. We have Heisman Trophy winners. We have um, network analysts that, are, that, that work in college football. We have pro athletes. We have... NBA coaches. We have an incredible choir and um, army of what we're calling, you know, the protectors that really speak to how these guys can relate to this issue and how quickly it can all go away. Um, So I'm directing and producing Protector, and that's what we're in the middle of doing the post-production of. And it's something that I'm really proud of and um, we'll be premiering the trailer here in about 10 days. Okay. And it's something that I, I'm, I'm very, very excited about. And then last week I directed and produced the uh, rally for the women's March of Texas. It was a hundred thousand people, an incredible, incredible event. And so I'm definitely keeping my, my soul and my spirit and in both sides, both the event side and the um, 
content side. Yeah. Do you have, Sarah, is there anything that, um, you know, beyond this particular movie, Protect Her, after that comes out, is there is there another topic that you've kind of been, um, you know, thinking about that you might want to cover um, or do a story yeah. on? Yeah. Or I think my next, my next um, area is really going to be around resilience. Okay. Um, and about what does it take to get up when you've been knocked down? Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to be looking at that possibly as um, a film anchored in one particular American city and what this city has undergone and um, we're in development on it and I'm very excited about it. Okay. You can't say the city or I can't, I can't yet, but we're, we're at a time, we're at a time where I feel that everyone needs to be reminded of the goodness that's here Yeah. and what we're, what our fabric is, what we're made of. Um, You know, this is going to be probably women's stories and men's stories that have been rebuilt alongside of a, an American city that is being rebuilt and reconfigured for stronger foundation and, and, and a stronger fabric. I think that where we are, and I've been very inspired by what I've seen and felt in the last month. That's so great um, to hear. That is so great to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I I wish we had time to talk about you know what what it takes to get these films made. I mean you it's a lot of work. I you know and to get the funding, uh, and then all of the you know the research mm-hmm. and you know there's it's hard. Re- yeah. It's hard. And you know I think that you're an example of resilience because just sticking to these projects and seeing them through from from conception you know of idea to the end. Um, I would say is a great example of resilience because I'm sure it, it, it goes up and down and up and down. Thank you. There's nothing easy about being an independent filmmaker. There's nothing easy about being an entrepreneur. Um, I think that what be- gets easier is the art of asking. There you go. For yeah. help. Right, right. Um, and I think that that's um, something that, you know, I need to, I remind myself or I try to all the time, but you know, I, I, I think what I can say in, in part is that there are lots of ways for women to join in in a conversation, in a, in a movement. Mm-hmm. I think that there can be the smallest actions all the way up to enormous, enormous gestures and enormous commitments. And it's just being a participant that's important. That's right. So thank you so much for Uh, having me. Sarah, thank you so much. I I greatly appreciate it. I know how busy you are, and um, I'm so grateful that you gave us an hour today to talk about your story and, and the great work that you're doing. I wish you continued success. Thank you for your work. Take care. Take care. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Be sure to uh, visit our website to see who's coming on the show next at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week.